You may have noticed the title of the lesson today, a rather brief couple of words, Let Us. And for the next few moments this morning, let me develop at least a few introductory matters with a slide that begins like this. Eddie announced just a few moments ago that probably, it's no surprise, today's the last Sunday of the year 2021, the 52nd and final one. That being said, I thought that we might in fact use our time as a bit of incentive or motivation or a bit of an encouragement to us in light of what might come to pass this coming Saturday. This coming Saturday is January the 1st. If God blesses us with time from now until then, by the clocks of men, that'll ring in a new year, 2022. It'll ring in that which on the calendar will look to be, of course, a different thing. We know that as time continues on that way, it is an opportunity for many people to reflect on the year that's passed and to make some plans or at least some thoughts about the year ahead. I hesitate to use the word resolution, but I know that that's a common one used in connection to that kind of thing. Have you made any resolutions? Have I? Well, today, I'll not say that what we'll discuss will be that, but it surely will motivate us in light of a service in direction of the coming time, be that 2022 to the God of heaven. This opening slide that in fact begins in earnest some of the things about our study today will take us to the book of Hebrews. Would you please be turning to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament? That is a book that quite often, I suppose, has been called the Jim, G-E-M of the Bible. There's some good reasons for that, I think. After all, you really don't understand, it seems to me, the fullness of the Bible unless you have a pretty good grasp of Hebrews. Take the Old Testament, for example. Hebrews draws so much of the Old Testament that if one is, unless one is fairly knowledgeable of the Old Testament, Hebrews will probably give you some challenges. But by the same token, the fulfillment of what's in Hebrews is, of course, in the New Testament. And if one isn't pretty knowledgeable of the New Testament, Hebrews will give you trouble still. One has to know the Bible to gain the most from Hebrews. You'll notice in light of that, Hebrews has a couple of key ideas. I've listed a couple of them for you. First, better. That's one of the key words in the book. Hebrews shows what's better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than the angels. His covenant is better than the old law of Moses. And on and on the list goes. Better. You and I like what's better. Not only that, we find superiority. The way of Christ is superior to any other way available to the human family. That includes the Old Testament law of Moses. It includes even the realities of angels. The way of Jesus is better, and it's superior. For that reason, about the middle of the slide, could I invite you then to notice the phrase, let us. Don't you like the simplicity of it? Let us. I realize that often occurs in the Bible, but it's rather fascinating how many times it occurs in the 13 chapters of Hebrews. The phrase, let us, occurs 13 times in 13 chapters. It's almost as if the God of heaven, through the writer to Hebrews, encouraged they of that day, and yea, all of us who shall live to the end of time. There's some things that should be a part of our let us. 
Now, we understand the phrase, let us, means this is what I need to be doing. This is what I need to be thinking about. This is what should be the action that proceeds. I wonder what those 13 usages of let us in this book will then surround. What will be the impetus of it? Well, may I say at the bottom, I at least listed. Isn't it true that sometimes as we close a given calendar year and begin to think about a new one, sometimes there are particular thoughts that we have. I'll eat better in the new year. Maybe I'll walk more. I'll exercise more. I'll try to be a better person. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But may I say the kind of let us that occurs in the Bible is not merely a let us try to eat better. Again, though there's not anything wrong with that, I wonder what kinds of things God says let us do. Well, we study about that for the next few moments this morning using only the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at the occurrences wherein that, is, that does in fact appear, and we'll see what is it that's encouraged upon us. Randy, let us do this. Let you do this. And you put your name in that blank as well. As I close that slide, may I say that this is a great motivation for us. What did the Hebrew writer say? Well, let's begin it like this. The first occurrence of that phrase in the book, chapter 4, verse 1. Please be turning with me to that place. We'll read that and then appreciate some messages that are drawn from this one as well as the other occurrences that appear before us as well. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Let us fear. My suspicion is that's probably not the first thing that came to mind. We often think about fear as a negative thing. It means I'm afraid, or at least it means that I'm greatly concerned about something. The Hebrew writer said, let us fear. What kind of fear is he talking about? Isn't it true that some fear is really very, very good? It's very healthy. You and I want our youngster to have a healthy fear of certain things. Stoves are hot, right? We don't want them to touch them because they'll clearly get hurt. And we want them to be afraid of a moving car because obviously injury and death could even befall the youngster. We want them to be afraid of certain things. May I remind us, God wants us to be fearful of certain things. Hell is the top of the list. You and I should have a fear detailed in this verse. Let us fear lest a promise being left of us of entering into His rest. What's the rest He's talking about? Heaven. You and I should fear the thought of missing heaven. We should, in fact, tremble at the thought of what it would be like to miss going to heaven. And at this point in chapter number 4, the Hebrew writer asserts to his readers. He asserts to those who are the listeners of that day and time, Look, think about the Old Testament, the great man Moses. Everyone would agree, perhaps the greatest of the people of the Old Testament. And yet, the fact is, he missed out on the promised land. He missed out on it, wasn't allowed to enter. But Joshua did. Some might then say, well, was it Joshua greater than Moses? Well, that's not his point. His point is, you and I should appreciate the fact of what is lost if we miss that great eternal rest. 
In fact, isn't it true that that kind of fear motivates him to say a number of the things that was said in this book? But inasmuch as that gets us started, what about the next one? Same chapter. Look at verse number 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, he uses the consideration of the children of Israel. They had come out of Egypt, and they did so by the great hand of God's deliverance, and yet the fact is they soon were guilty of unbelief. When the spies came back and ten of them said, Oh, that land is everything we've heard it is, but we can't take it. God called that unbelief. And this was His verdict. Every one of you, 20 years of age and older, will die in this wilderness. You'll never get to see that land that I've told you about. You'll never get to participate and indwell it. And so they died in the wilderness. Hebrew writer now says, Let us labor to enter into that rest, lest any of us fall after the matter of unbelief. So another incentive for the coming year, may you and I have a properly directed fear, a fear not only of God, but a fear of missing heaven. And may that motivate us in verse number 11 to labor. That word labor, as you and I will notice, literally means to give diligence. It means to have a mindset of intensity and diligence with regard to its object. We will be careful and concerted, and we will provide work in light of that which God has told us to do. Diligence. And the idea is, in verse 11, we want to make sure we enter that rest. So far as the first two have at least been brought before us, I've listed some additional passages that at least echo these same sentiments. We'll not always be able to detail those additional passages. But the Hebrew writer, for those who in fact were the ones to whom he wrote, he's so far using some Old Testament imagery and truth to embed in them the reality of a great eternal message. What about the third one? Same chapter, chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. There's our phrase again, to hold fast our profession. Earlier we have noticed some let us labor, let us fear, and now let us hold fast. You'll notice I echoed a different passage along with this one. It's the lesson text that was read earlier today in our hearing. Chapter 10, verse 23, same wording as those presented there. What's involved in this idea of holding fast? The literal and original word means to grasp. It means to take hold of and to hold on very tightly. To maintain hold on. May I interject at this point some of what this book reminds us is the history of those to whom this book was written. Hebrew Christians found themselves in a very challenging position. They had grown up knowing the law of Moses. They had appreciated the integrity and the value and the truthfulness of it. But once Jesus came, that law was gone. That law was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. Now Christ needed to be served. 
And a number of the particulars of the old law were done away with. The Sabbath, for example. The consideration of other particulars like going to Jerusalem those three times of the year and things like that. Now, their attention needed to be given to Christ. But we all recognize that brought a great deal of persecution. That brought a great deal of hardship. Maybe family members would say, well, if you're going to give yourself to that, we want nothing to do with you. Maybe there were others who so steeped were they in the matters of the old law of Moses that they would heap great persecution like they did to Paul. In this text, we notice this. Let us hold fast our profession, no matter what. Hear me now, no matter what. Christ is superior. His way is better. The devil can never offer anything that will compete with the way of Christ. The Lord's way is and shall always be better. And thus, to those Hebrew Christians, regardless of those challenging circumstances in which they were, the writer encouraged them, you hold on. In the words of Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death, and the crown of life will be yours. We shall learn at various times in the book of Hebrews that it is described like this, the knees were weak. The hands were hanging down because they were discouraged. But the writer said, let us hold fast our profession. May I offer that to you and me as the year 2022 stands before us? To hold fast our profession, to cling to the Master, to allow Him to be the thoroughfare to the way in which we shall be and do that which He would have us to be and do. This third one. To hold fast perhaps brings us to the fourth one. At this point, look at the very next verse, verse 16, chapter 4. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you thrilled at the thought of boldness? God has not given us a spirit of timidity a spirit of being overwhelmed by the powers of those before whom we may stand. We haven't been given that kind of spirit. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, we've been given a spirit of strength and might, soundness if you will. And in this place, notice that to which it's connected. Let us come boldly into the throne of grace. You and I today do that through the avenue of prayer. We are able to approach the grandeur of the throne of the God of heaven. May I encourage all of us, let's make 2022 a year of prayer to make sure that we hold fast and let us proceed in the avenue of prayer. As we do that, we are assured that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You'll notice in connection to this, so many times doesn't that remind us that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps, Jeremiah 10, 23. Thus, when we approach His throne, we are openly admitting, God, I cannot do it myself. I need Your guidance. I need Your perspective. I need Your strength. The example of Paul would certainly ring with greatness in that light, wouldn't it? In this connection, could I not offer this? In chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 of this book, the Lord is our helper. If He is our helper, wouldn't it make sense that we approach Him in prayer and ask for that help? What about the fifth one? 
chapter 12, verse 28. This one, in fact, is worded in a very interesting way. Hebrews 12, verse 28 reads, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. It begins with wherefore. That would appear to be a particular word connecting this to the majority of what is earlier preceded in that chapter. Notice it begins by saying, We have received a kingdom. That's the church. The kingdom of God is the church. That church is reality. We've often noted the Old Testament talked about it in future tense. The Hebrew writer says, It's here. We must never lose sight of the sweetness and the blessing that is the church of our Lord. We receiving a kingdom, it says, let us have grace. The original word, it would appear strongly connects to gratefulness and thankfulness. In essence, let us be thankful. Why? We've received a kingdom. Are you thankful for the church? Am I? It should be one of the top matters. May I invite each of us to remember how Jesus presented that model prayer in Matthew 6? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. After adoring and praising and sanctifying the name of God, the first thing the Master mentioned was the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom's now come, and now the Hebrew writer says, since it has come, let's be thankful and grateful and ever mindful of the blessings we enjoy because of it and through it. That idea perhaps so readily appears in some other ways in the book, though the phrase, let us, isn't directly appearing. Let's look at the next one. What about number 6? Chapter 6, verse 1. At the opening of chapter number 6, you find this rather powerful presentation. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ... Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. What's the point? His point there to those of that day and certainly to us as well is this. Let us go on. He is encouraging maturity. There were a number of subjects, he says, it's time you have mastered these things and you move on to some other matters. Things like, verse 1, repentance. That should be so easily understood, he says. You need to be chewing on some meteor matters of the faith. He next mentions the idea and the necessity of faith. He'll say that again in chapter 11, verse 6. Verse 2, what about the matter concerning baptisms? And note the plural. We often lay, of course, emphasis on baptism and water for the remission of sins, and that is needful. But the Bible talks about other baptisms. Are you and I schooled in them? Do we know about them? Are we currently acquainted with them? The writer says it's time you move past things like that. He next mentions the laying on of hands. Today, there are still those troubled by that. He says, you as you mature in the faith... You should understand that and move on to something else. Finally, he mentions the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. 
let me ask each of us to remember, He here challenges me and you, you and I, to grow in the faith. In 2022, may we allow that to be a part of our expectation to let us mature, to move on into more elementary matters if those aren't schooled in us, and to move on to other things. No wonder in that connection, there's a warning in the previous chapter. Let me invite your attention to verses 12 to 14 of chapter 5. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's right after that statement. He then says, let us go on to perfection. May you and I hold that as a powerful ideal for 2022. That's a great let us, isn't it? What about number 7? Chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, to draw near. That's another way of saying to become close. Now that verse starts by highlighting verse number 22, drawing close to God. May I suggest that as you and I reflect upon drawing near to Him, it must be an issue in the heart. It is not an outward ritual. It is not a habit. It should be a way of life. We're taught that both in Isaiah and in Matthew. In fact, I've called your attention to Isaiah 29, 13, when there they had the appearance of drawing near to God, but God told them, Your heart is far from me. Oh, you may say the right thing, but your heart's not in it. May that not describe us, but may it be such that we genuinely draw close to God because we delight in Him and in His way. And we're so thankful for that which He's done for us. But may I be quick to say that drawing near will certainly manifest itself, among other things, in the public matters of our corporate assemblies. Oh, how we look forward to worship and to Bible study because these are times when the things of God are held up so high. They are set before us as the principal thing that anchors our life to what is most important and what will last beyond the realms of this fleshly life. So may I suggest that we thrill at those and look forward with enthusiasm to them, and we make it a part of our life to be present at all of them that we possibly can be. As far as drawing near, may I say that that directly leads to the next one, because it's almost the next verse. There is an intervening verse, verse 23, so let me read it, but then move into 24. Let us hold fast a profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Our conviction in Christ must not be one that wavers. We aren't like the waves of the sea driven and tossed. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. We aren't like the reed that blows in the wind. Hebrews 13, verse number 9. 
Rather, we are like that anchor that is anchored to the one that doesn't move. May you and I be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But as you then look at verse 24, look how this particular application appears. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We provoke each other. Let us do this. As we consider each other in that way, it makes a family stronger. It makes us more united. It makes us connected to the same reality of the blood of Christ. I know we've often highlighted the sweetness we enjoy in the words of encouragement from another, in that which is offered by the prayers of our faithful brothers and sisters. May I also assert that we might remember, often the consideration here will be a provocation. May we all be thankful for a brother or sister who provokes us. Do you think you really need to be doing that? Is that really what the Bible teaches? You shouldn't be talking that way. You shouldn't wear things like that because that's not modest. May I say, we shouldn't get mad when a brother or sister talks to us that way. We ought to get on our knees and thank the God of heaven. They love us enough to tell us that we're doing something that isn't right and that we ought to be humble enough to thank them for it and ask God to forgive us and to make some changes in life. Sometimes the correction most powerful in the church comes by the loving words of a brother or sister who love our soul more than we do. Hebrews 10.24 says we need to consider one another and let us do that. What about the next one? Number 9. Go to chapter 12 with me, the first two verses. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight... First thing to note, lay aside every weight. Life comes with its weights. I would think it wise to remember that the devil tries to heap on you and me weights. If you've ever talked to those in the military, sometimes they behave in ways they shouldn't. And a part of punishment, they have to wear a backpack and go on a march of a number of miles. That march is a whole lot easier if you don't have to carry a bunch of rocks in the backpack. You see, those rocks are a weight. They're tending to offer resistance or opposition to completing the course. The Hebrew writer says, let's make sure we lay aside every weight. Those bad habits and mindsets that we have that are not conducive to godliness, lay them aside. Now, he didn't say that'd be easy. It's going to take some determination, some dedication, but it can be done. Lay aside those weights. And may I say again, under the banner of let us, this is an urgency, isn't it? But don't you know the verse goes on though, because there's another let us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Not only do we lay aside the weight, we also run with patience. The Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. The important thing is to attain the rest. To cross the finish line, Paul spoke of in 2 Timothy 4.8, to arrive at receiving the crown he referenced in 1 Corinthians 9.24. That's what we aim for. 
this life will be over soon enough, but eternity will never end. We need to prepare ourselves now so that judgment will be favorable and so that everything then will be sweet from that point forward. Run with patience. That phrase, patience, carries with it, of course, a steadfastness, a perseverance. It's easy sometimes to want to throw up our hands and say, I quit. I've had enough of this. And you and I probably have known others who've made that choice. Some who have become upset with something the church did. Well, I don't want any part of them anymore. If that's the way they think, I can't believe those elders made that decision. I can't believe that they made that selection and choice. May I ask you, what are you going to say on the day of judgment? If we quit, there's nowhere else to go. Hebrews 10 verse 26 will say, Other than Christ, there is no other. There is no salvation aside from Him. We can't quit. Number 11, chapter 13, verse 13. As you come to the last chapter, we read here, Let us go forth, therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. It would seem to me that the phraseology is so intriguing. Now again, it's an Old Testament reference. You may recall that in the Old Testament there were times when upon the offering of sacrifices they had to go outside the camp to dispose of the particulars of the sacrifice. They weren't allowed to keep the remnants of remains inside. He now uses that to say, Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp. You too go, out the, go outside the camp. It would appear he's saying this, Christians... Your life had better be shining whether you're in the assemblies of the church or not. It's easy to shine here. It's easy to have the appearance of faithfulness and godliness here. But it's not near as easy tomorrow. And it nearly as easy out there. Because you see, the devil's primarily in control out there. He is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. He is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2, verse 2. So out there, we've got to shine. Let your light shine, we are told in Matthew 5, 16. So when you and I leave this structure, may we go forth without the camp, showing forth the blessedness of faithfulness and commitment to the Lord. One by one, as we have looked at these particulars, these 11 that I've listed to this point, could I now ask you to conclude this lesson with me like this? I have chosen all of the let us's. And remember, some of them appeared twice in some of those particulars that we listed. There's a total of 13. Haven't they been a great motivation? A motivation to become what we should now and to live that way hereafter. And so in capital letters, I ask you to notice, let us be motivated for 2022 that we might in fact use the teaching of the Word of God by way of fear, by way of boldness, and by way of dedication to entering that rest that we might implement in our life things like this. Lay aside every weight. Come to the one who can help you bear it, who can help you deal with it, and run with patience the race set before us. In this assembly today, we wish to make an offering 
at this time and convenience, if we can in some public way be a matter of helpfulness to you, we want to do it. We need you to let us know how we can. If you've never become a Christian, there will never be a finer day to enter 2022 than as a member of the body of Christ. You can make things right today. Jesus demands of you that you've got to believe in Him. Not partially, not a little bit. You've got to believe He is the Son of God. John 8, 24. You must repent of your sins. You can't continue a way of sinfulness in life and still think that somehow things can be all right. It'll never be that way. Acts 17.30 says, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now all men everywhere have to repent. That is asked of you. You need to confess the greatness of the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the Messiah. The New Testament reminds us of this in Matthew 10.32 and 33. And then you must be baptized for the remission of your sins. Sins aren't taken away in belief or in repentance or in confession, but it's in baptism. They're washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen. If you have begun that way of walking in Christ, but over time, maybe you've gotten lazy spiritually. Maybe you've come to the point where the church doesn't matter much to you anymore. You need to change that. You need to allow the Lord to change it in you. We'd be delighted today to pray for you, to pray with you, and to do so in such a way that if you will repent and confess those matters, He's promised to forgive them, 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. Today, we would be delighted and honored to assist you. This song of encouragement has been chosen. If right now we can do that for you, may I say we've each been given some marching orders of motivation for 2022 in the words of Let Us in the book of Hebrews. If you'd like to respond today to the gospel in a public way, won't you come while we stand and sing?